Welcome, everybody, and thanks so much for tuning in this week to the Bible Breakdown. I'm looking forward to getting to talk about this lesson that we have for this week. This week, we are going to be in 1 Peter, so we're taking a little bit of a detour from some stories about Peter to now a letter written by Peter, which seems appropriate. And we will be in 1 Peter chapter 1. Um, we're going to be reading verses 3 through 21. We're going to stick fairly close to the to the text today, so I'd keep it handy if you want to follow along. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about just the situation that Peter is writing to in this letter, the uh, believers that he's writing to that are undergoing persecution. We're going to talk a little bit about how that relates to us and believers around the world. And we're also going to talk about um, how Peter uh, tells these believers to react to persecution. And we're going to talk about how that affects us. It's nice when you read about it happening to someone else. If you don't throw yourself in there and think, what does God have for me from this text? Um, it becomes some good head knowledge. Good to know. But we want the scripture to reach the heart level. We want it to affect the way that we interact with the world, the way that we understand God. And so I'm hoping that will be the case today. So like I said, we are going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to start out by reading uh, verses 3 through 9 in 1 Peter 1. And then we'll talk a little bit about their situation, what was going on, and uh, talk a little bit about how it applies to us, and we'll go from there. So starting in verse 3, it says, Blessed be the Lord, and, I'm sorry, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So what P Peter's doing here in this letter to start off is he is talking to a group of believers, probably that are spread throughout the Roman Empire. Uh, typically, these letters would be circulated amongst churches. So he's probably writing to anyone who's been undergoing persecution. Um, and the way that he starts out by encouraging these believers, that's really the purpose of him writing is so that he can encourage these believers and um, give them hope in, in who Jesus is. He also gives them the hope that is their inheritance. So instead of starting off by talking about, oh, yeah, I know it's been really hard for you. Here's what we're going to do. He puts the most important thing as the most important thing in his letter. He praises God for what we have been adopted into through Jesus Christ. Um, he talks about it. Let's just read over some of these things again that he called it. Uh, great mercy, living hope, uh, inheritance that is imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading, kept in heaven, uh, guarded by God's power, uh, ready to be revealed um, through faith for salvation. Some pretty bold terms, some really 
things that should give us a, a cause to be grateful, uh, that those are the things that describe our relationship with Jesus, that for these believers who are undergoing persecution, that this is what they have to look forward to. Can you imagine this, the difficulty of thinking I'm being persecuted for a faith that could be taken away from me, that I could lose, that could um, not be true. Imagine if you were living in persecution in the midst of that. Uh, Peter says, no, you don't have to worry about it being taken away. You don't have to worry about it not being real because you know what? The person who's keeping it is the person that makes it what it is. It's by God's power. It's through Jesus Christ. That faith that you have, that hope that you have is kept secure for you in heaven. So now whenever I, Peter's going to bring up some persecution, um, it seems a little more palatable. Um, basically, I've just got to keep waiting until that hope is revealed. I get to keep waiting until I receive that inheritance that has been promised that it's uh, it's waiting for me whenever my life is over or when Jesus comes back. So uh, I just love that Peter really focuses the letter there to start. And I think that's a, a great reminder for us. Um, the circumstances around us are significant, uh, but they're not significant in comparison to the living hope that we have that is through Jesus. And it should be the lens through which we view all our suffering, all kind of persecution. So I uh, want to talk briefly just the kind of situation that Peter's writing to a little bit to these believers. Uh, think about this. You are, um, let's say, a lot of this audience is probably Jewish. There's probably some non-Jewish audience as well. But um, think of, if, of how the Jews treated Jesus and treated the disciples. Um, they were, well, Jesus obviously was uh, arrested and killed for crimes he did not commit, though he did ra uh, raise on the third day and uh, ascend to heaven. But then um, his followers were imprisoned and they were beaten and they were scorned uh, as some kind of traitors to their Jewish heritage and their Jewish religion. Um, so it's not, they're living in the Roman Empire, but it's not just the Romans that are oppressing them. Uh, people that were in Judaism that decided to follow Jesus could lose their whole family. Uh, their family might uh, just set them out and say, you're out of here. You're disinherited. Um, we don't want to be associated with this Jesus. Um, and not to mention the uh, religious leaders. Um, there are certain cultural things in mind too. If you were uh, known as a Christian, you may not be able to uh, visit your synagogue. You may not be able to visit your markets even. Um, there's some significant cultural uh, consequences to following Jesus if you were Jewish. So there's persecution there. And then you think about uh, the persecution of the Romans. So the Romans, as they kind of started to see that Christianity was more than just some little insurrection or some little belief that was going to die out as they saw that Christianity was gaining traction, as they saw that it was here to stay. They uh, began to more systematically persecute. Um, obviously, Nero is one of the most famous of the Christian persecutors, um, was known for persecuting Christians. Uh, Domitian, who came after him, was also well known for that. Um, it's very possible. Um, the, it's always hard to to date these letters because they he didn't put like, oh, it's January 13, 2021 on his letters. Uh, it can be difficult to date them, but it's very possible that Peter was writing during the time of Nero. Um, so this persecution may have really been taken up a notch at the time that he's writing. Uh, but the reality is, is that 
in terms of the Roman Empire, Christians were not welcome. And largely it had to do with the fact that they believed in a God, um, which would be uh, Jesus, that was not a part of the uh, of their deities that they had. He was not part of their pantheon of gods. And they also, um, the Christians would refuse to recognize the emperor as the God and as a God. A God. And um, there were certain emperors who were really insistent that they be recognized as gods. So that's kind of a two-pronged reason for the Romans. And Romans generally just not um, not in favor of any sort of dissent. So if you're going to be doing something different than what the Roman Empire is doing, generally they frowned on that. Um, so that's where the persecution is coming from. So it's basically at home and abroad is where their persecution is. It's, it's all around them. Uh, and really they have one another to rely on. And that's something that Peter's going to talk about um, and just the way that we're called to, to live. So I just want to take a brief moment uh, to talk about persecution now in our world. I'd like to talk a little bit about what, what does persecution look like uh, in the United States? Uh, and then I want to talk about how it looks around the world. Uh, the reality is in the United States, we do experience persecution and it's largely on a smaller level. Um, you know, it may be people assume certain things about you because you're a Christian, things that uh, maybe you wouldn't think are true about yourself. Um, you may be judged for that. Um, you may be considered a bigot. You may be considered sexist. You may be considered um, maybe holier than thou or thinking that you have the right answer. No one else does. So there may be some things that people assume about you. There may be people who openly tell you, I think your faith is uh, stupid. I don't think it's true. I think you're wasting your life. And the fact that you want other people to do it too, I think is terrible. Um, those are kind of the things that we will typically see. There can be some social ostracism too. Um, people may not want to spend time with you if uh, you live a life that is consistent um, with Christ and they may not want an influence like that around. So that's some examples, but and I say that at the front because what I really want to focus on is really just how blessed we are in the United States to live as we do with our faith. Um, there are definitely difficulties, and I don't want to downplay any difficulties that uh, anyone who lives in the U.S. has experienced. But at the same time, uh, especially for those of us living in the South for a long time, the Bible Belt, as they call it, um, it's easier to be a Christian than to not be a Christian in terms of uh, at least how people want uh, to categorize you. Living as a, a really faithful Christian maybe rubs people the wrong way, uh, but being called a Christian is pretty normal uh, where we live. And even in a lot of the U.S. for uh, centuries, it was kind of just the norm, like, oh yeah, there's a lot of Christians in the U.S. Um, we, we should really think of what a blessing that is in the way that um, we're not running for our lives daily. We can gather in public and um, there, there's not government uh, agents waiting to shut us down if they catch us and arrest us and throw us under the jail. Um, that That's a reality in the rest of the world. That's been a reality in a lot of human history. The United States was founded on this idea that people could have some slightly differing uh, views and they could still all get along. Now, most of these views at the time were Christian views. Um, they were coming from England where um, if, you, if you had a Protestant power um, at on the throne, then the Catholics were having a really tough time, um, and then and vice versa. Then Anglicanism kind of thrown into the mix, and so they were really fleeing this idea like whoever the king is, that's the type of quote unquote type of Christian I have to be. 
So people with different ideas, again, largely Christian, came to the U.S. to found a place where there was religious freedom. And that is something that largely exists today in our society, definitely from a, a law standpoint. And, you know, we see obviously times when we would say some of our rights are infringed upon. It's a different conversation. But the reality of world history is that your religion could get you killed um, at many different times. And the time that Peter's writing, that was the case. Uh we don't really have to worry about that. That's not a systematic thing laid out by a, a government or really even people groups in our nation. So I think that the United States has been able to operate as such a great, um, I guess, vehicle for God's work in a lot of ways because of that religious freedom. Um, I think about missions. I think about um, pastors who can uh, teach the Bible to large groups of people over uh, the internet, whatever it may be, um, largely those things are possible because of the laws we have in our country, and we should view it as a huge blessing. Um, we see time and time again in, a script, in the scripture that our freedom of religion is not a, a right that we've been given. In fact, the Bible talks a lot more about how we are going to suffer and how we are going to be persecuted than it does about how free we're going to be in our religion. So something for us to just kind of chew on, I think, a little bit. Um, we, we've gotten honestly pretty spoiled with our situation and um it's a it's just an opportunity to really react to god and thankfulness um and to honestly be open to what he's going to do if our freedoms are taken away if we lose some of our religious freedoms how he's still going to work because um we're going to talk a little bit about about this later but christianity thrives in persecution we've seen it throughout human history so i do want to just touch also on persecution kind of around the world to give us some um, perspective. Um, there's a website. It is called Open Doors, and they just are basically trying. They try to raise awareness for Christians who are being persecuted. Um, they estimate that in the last year, 260 million Christians have experienced high levels of persecution, and that thousands have died for their faith, and that about t- almost 10,000 churches or other Christian buildings have been. Uh, attacked just over the last year. Um, so when I say that the reality that we live in is is different here in America, that's kind of what I'm talking about. Not many of us have to worry about day to, that day to day. We don't have to worry about being killed for our faith. And not only are people being killed for their faith, but it's often under um, the approval of a government or at least, you know, whether it be national or local or a, um, a religious authority um, so it's it's not like, a, oh, no, somebody killed a Christian. It's like, oh, good, they killed another Christian. Um, that's the reality for um, some believers. And there are plenty of believers all around the world that are meeting um, in hidden churches. They call them underground churches. Often they're usually in homes or things like that, because if they were caught openly teaching the Bible, um, they'd be arrested. So that's, that's normal in a lot of places around the world. So honestly, anytime you think about it, uh, spend some time. This was really convicting for me as I was looking at this. Spend some time praying for believers in other countries who, uh, in spite of all the difficulties, uh, want to proclaim Christ and want to live like he would have them live. Um, that's very challenging to me uh, when I think about the uh, quote-unquote difficulties that I experience and how easily I can become shy or I can become disheartened um, about my faith. 
in the midst of very light persecution, um, thinking about how believers live there is, is, is sobering. And it should, I hope it's sobering for you too, just to recognize um, that the, the power of the gospel isn't small. It can overcome more than some bad traffic. It can overcome more than politicians. It can overcome uh, anything because at the end of the day, it's our inheritance that's imperishable. Um, I'd also just like to share with you um, just kind of another fairly sobering fact. Um, like I said, the United States is kind of unique in human history for being kind of a Christian religious utopia in a lot of ways. But think about this, the percentage of Christians in the U.S., this religious utopia that we live in, uh, is declining. The percentage of people that would claim to be Christians in the U.S. is declining. Um, in Africa and Asia, where the persecution in the world is the highest, the Christian population by percentage is growing. Just something to consider about, I guess, how the Lord works um, and what's possible even in the midst of terrible persecution, how he can bring good out of those situations. Not that we, any of us should be eager to be persecuted. Nobody wants to be persecuted. I don't want anybody to be persecuted. But let's also recognize that God's power is perfected in weakness. And how, when do you feel more weak than when um, you're scared for your very life? So just something to think about what's going on in the world. So I want to move on now to verse 13. We're going to read through verse 21 um, just to uh, kind of see what what is Peter calling these believers to do. So he's told them, like, this is their inheritance. He's recognizing their persecution. So how's he telling them that they should live in the world? Starting in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So what's Peter tell us? What's Peter telling these believers? What is he telling us? How should we respond in times of persecution? He encourages them to be holy. He encourages them to be holy in their conduct, knowing what has already been done for them. So uh, when we think of the word holy, I think a lot of times we think of like uh, kind of like pure or perfection. Uh, we think of somebody who's really holy, like they don't ever do anything wrong. And there's there's something to that. Um, the word holy comes from uh, the Greek word hagios. And uh, one way that that is defined in the New Testament is dedicated to God, sacred, reserved for God and God's service. So when we get to the root of what it means to live in holiness, really what we're looking at is being set apart. And you've probably heard this, a, a kind of a way to think of, of holiness is being set apart, different from what is around us, um, different from anything else, and different for the cause of God. So we think of God, God is holy, right? 
he is totally distinct from us. He is far greater than we are. We don't hold a candle to him. Um, is his character pure? Yes. Does he do anything? Does he do anything wrong? No, he doesn't. Um, so there's those elements. Um, his total perfection. That all kind of is part of his holiness, which is really just that he is totally other. Um, we cannot we cannot compare ourselves to him because he is in a totally different category. So God's calling us and Peter's calling us through the Holy spirit to be holy um, as God is holy. So we're not going to reach the same level of perfection. Um, obviously we do things wrong, but God is calling us to be consecrated for his purpose in the world. So that's what we're talking about being reserved for God and God's service. That's what Peter is encouraging these believers to do. And he's encouraging us to do the same. So when we read that, um, it can be, it can be intimidating. It can be very intimidating to think that we are called to live in a way that's totally consecrated to the Lord, totally separate from those around us because it's difficult. And we've all, we've all been through that. Um, but our response to persecution, and even when we're not being persecuted, this should really be um, this should really be our mindset because the reality is the more we start to look like Christ, the less people who don't follow Christ want to, um, they, they, the more uncomfortable we make them, I guess you'd say. Um, but our response should be to live a life that looks toward our inheritance rather than to our suffering. So instead of being focused on the suffering at hand, how can we stop the suffering? How can we make sure there's no more suffering? Being focused on the inheritance and the calling that we have is really what Peter is wanting us to do. He's writing to these believers, not telling them avoid persecution at all costs, but rather even in the midst of it to be holy, to be a, a group that is seen as set apart. And this holiness isn't just individual. This isn't just, okay, you, uh, Blake, you be holy, you be distinct. And uh, you, Caitlin, you be distinct, you be holy. It's a call for the people of God to be holy and unified. That as a whole, as a church, as a global church, and maybe we see that more manifest in our individual communities, that we should be set apart from the society around us. That even in the midst of difficulties, persecutions, that our communities that call on the name of Jesus to be saved, that we should look different. It's not just a, this verse is for me, this passage is for me. It is for us. Um, individually, but it's especially for us collectively um, that we call one another to that consecration, that we could be reserved for God and God's service. And we should be distinct and persecuted for how loyally we follow God, how loyally we obey Christ. That's really what should make us distinct and should make us uh, persecuted if it comes to that. Don't be persecuted for unholy things. Don't, we should not, there are so many things that we as people get persecuted for. And we think, ah, oh, I'm being persecuted. It's because they hate the name of Jesus. Sometimes we're just, we're not acting in a way that is uh, congruent with our faith. And people get frustrated by that because they know what we believe and they see how we act and they get frustrated. We're not necessarily being persecuted. Honestly, it's a, it's a form of conviction. Um, Let's not be people that are persecuted because we're gossips. Let's not be people that are persecuted because we're really judgmental. Let's not be people that are persecuted because we're, we complain all the time. Let's not be 
persecuted because we're a know-it-all. Probably shouldn't have put that one in there. Strikes a little too close to home. Um, this one might strike a little close to home for some too. Let's not be persecuted primarily for our political beliefs. Um, we, we serve a higher government. Um, the government that we are a part of is a monarchy. Jesus is the king. Um, he is our he is our politician. And you know what? He's the best one we got. Um, and I would much rather be persecuted for following, uh, for following my monarchy where Jesus is the king than, um, than for obeying or holding fealty to um, some human politicians. Let's not let that be the reason that we're, that we're persecuted because we um, put our hope in any person. Let's be people that are persecuted if it comes to that because we're so wholly devoted to Jesus that people don't want to be around us because it's, you know, either they are totally against Jesus or they're just too convicted they can't be around us or um, the, the, the evil forces that exist in the world are rallying people to stop what Jesus is doing through us. Um, let, let's let that be the reason that we encounter difficulty in the world. Um, as I was reading that list, that was just like, oh man, just shots to the heart. I wrote them and I, I know where they came from. They came right from my convictions. Um, just knowing that those are things that can describe me. Those are ways I can live. And yeah, it gets me into trouble sometime. And there's, there's nothing to be proud of for um, getting into trouble, being persecuted for gossiping or being judgmental, complaining, being a know-it-all, certain political beliefs. That's not, that's not what Peter's calling us to in this passage. He's calling us to live in a way that is set apart, reserved for God and God's service. And if we're persecuted for that, that's when we can focus on, well, yes, this is difficult right now but we've got an inheritance that's waiting for us. That's really the, the ultimate hope that we have is in the completed work of Jesus, that those of us who have believed in Jesus um, are eternally secure and that the things that we go through on this earth, uh, the difficulties can be turned for God's glory, that they can be used so that other people can know about this same inheritance and that they may be invited into it. Um, one day this life is just going to seem like the blink of an eye and the things that happen to us on earth, they're, they're real, they're significant. Um, they are hard. Some things are great. Um, it's not that they mean nothing, but one day it's going to seem so much smaller when we are face to face with Jesus. And we want to be face to face with him saying, my life was really hard because I tried my best to follow you and people didn't like it rather than my life was really hard because, I graded on people and I sought my own way and people didn't like it. Um, let's be people that when we get, um, get to that inheritance, when it comes to the time where we receive that thing that has been stored up for us in heaven, that we can say, I'm, I'm glad that I sacrificed what I did on earth so that I could enjoy this inheritance forever with you. So just a, a call for us, um, whether the persecution be great or small, um, that, we respond in faithfulness. So we respond in the in the good times, the bad times, with just a heart that is turned toward our inheritance because um, it's secure. No one's taking it away from us. It's secured by the work of Jesus. It's secured by the seal of the Holy Spirit. The Father's got it waiting up there for us. Um, we're going to get to enjoy it one day, and um, it'll all be worth it on his behalf. So thanks for taking the time to listen today. I hope that's an encouragement to you um, in whatever you're walking through right now, uh, big or small. Uh, that there's a purpose to it, that God's working in it, and there's ultimately something that we have to look forward to.